0: there's no such thing as a red spade. So that's kind of, you know, where, where that came from. It, it, I wanted something really catchy uh, and, and memorable and easy, and, but unique. And it's kind of cool because it doesn't really exist. So it makes people think about it, like, what is it? It was a life-changing experience and it kind of gave me another, it gave me reason to live. So writing kind of gave me a second chance at life. Well, hello.
1: <laughs> How's things going on your end?
0: Good. Um, better. Uh, this COVID thing has been uh interesting and working from home has been kind of wild. Um so slowly well, yeah, it's been what, five months now almost? <laughs> so getting used to it.
2: <laughs>
1: and so how but, uh, has it been your daily life with COVID and everything? Were you working from home before?
0: No, I was not. I was actually in the office every day. And funny enough, until now, um, our bosses all swore that it's impossible for us to work from home. And all of a sudden, literally overnight, um, it's funny, I was actually at the Daytona 200 um, with uh, Apex Racing and Jason DeSalvo, and we got the message that weekend. They are like, yeah, don't come back to work. So (laughs) we all just like... Fortunately, I had my laptop. I already knew things were gonna go down and uh, because we had school closures here and by Monday we were on full lockdown and well, so far, it doesn't look like we're going back till next year, so.
2: Yeah, things changed
0: there. Yeah, it's it's wild how like, no, you'll never be able to work from home to overnight working from home.
1: (laughs) And so do you have any- uh, How about you? So for me, I'm actually been I'm still going into the office every day. We wear masks and all that and check temperatures. Um, but uh but yeah, we're still we're still operating. We shut down for about a week and a half. Um, actually two weeks or so. One time there was one person tested positive, so we all had to quarantine, but I was fine. I never had any symptoms or anything. So uh yeah, it's been uh uh, stay in the course. I, I have a normal job, so I go to a, a normal day job, I guess you say, in uh, in Pontiac every day, and then I come home and work my business, Czar, okay. um, and do the podcast now as well. So, um, so I'm still shipping orders every day. I'm still uploading new inventory. That's really what we're we're trying to do is just upload all these new products that we have. Uh, it just takes time to do that.
0: That's a lot of work. <laughs>
1: so, so yeah, things are going well. Um, and uh, jumped into it right now, so we're already recording. Um, So let's just talk about some sport bikes. How'd you get involved with sport bikes and uh, uh, how many miles a year do you think you put on that bike? Uh, Well,
0: my first year that I started riding was, um, oh my gosh, 2012. So I am a fairly new rider. Like I don't consider myself very experienced and definitely got into it late. I just turned 31. a bit of a midlife crisis. And there's there's a long story there. We might go back to that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, my first year, um, I got a CBR 250. And literally just a few months after I got that, I got a 600. And that 600, I put over 17,000 miles on it my first year riding. Um, and I kept the 250 for track. Um, and I wrote both of them kind of like, simultaneously until I fully tracked out the 250 and then that wasn't strictly going more um, but I took a lot of road trips on the 600 really enjoyed it um, over the as track ramped up the road trips kind of ramped down cuz I was gone every weekend trying to cram in as much track as I could sure. I got obsessed <laughs> about it so I was I was there a lot but yeah I think my um my track bike right or my new um i got another track bike maybe four years ago now this would be its fourth summer and i think i put just under 15 or sixteen thousand miles on that one just track miles that's so awesome that's, that's a uh, lot of laps. laughs
1: say you're a new rider if you've got how many thousand track miles under your belt <laughs>
0: Okay, yeah, I I don't know. I still feel I lack so much. Um, Riding was never, I I have zero talent. I always tell this to everyone. Like I have zero talent when it comes to riding. It's like two left feet, two left hands, horrible balance. Um, Was never into sports. Uh, so that kind of hindered me a lot. Um, so everything that I've accomplished so far in my writing and capabilities has just been through hard repetition. I can't tell you how much blood, sweat, and tears went into <laughs> into trying to get me where I'm at now. And I think if if I wasn't so obsessed with it, I would have given up a long time ago. But um, it, it was a life-changing experience and it kind of gave me another it gave me reason to live so writing kind of gave me a second chance at life and that has to do with some health issues and some things in the past so um my husband hates that he got me into it now (laughs) because he never sees me
1: (laughs) yeah it sounds like you're so obsessed with it and you you've been doing it for about eight years or so at a fairly high level and it (laughs) seems like to me that racing and riding or just sport bikes, you know, being out there on the street or the track, there's so much to learn. And that's why it feels like you're still new because there's always more to learn and to get better at and to improve on your habits and um, your consistency with things. So mm-hmm. it's tough and there is no perfect finish line. I mean, you could say in your career, maybe you have a couple perfect laps, a few handful, a few perfect laps. And that means a, usually a track record, right? That's a perfect lap, right? Uh, every other <laughs> lap up until then is like not there. You you missed something. You did something not perfectly right. For you know, I mean, there's so many factors that are involved, whether it's the weather or you're on used tires or you're just mm-hmm. having fun, uh, just learning a new a new surface, a new track. So it's just um, there's always more to learn, and that's why I love it so much
0: exactly i think that's like the biggest thing why i got so obsessed and hooked into it was because well first of all the more i learned the more i realized how much i didn't know the more i got to ride with some other advanced riders that like totally kick my ass to the curbing every time and just take my paint off i'm just like wow like i want to be like those guys like that's amazing to me and you know, so it makes me work really hard, and and it inspires me to keep going with it. And it's really humbling, you know. And you've got someone like Stefano Mesa just coming by you and just what was that? Yeah,
1: how was that <laughs> and, possible to know, go through the corner that fast? You know?
0: Yeah, right. Like that kid is insane. <laughs> but um, yeah. So those guys, like, that's what, like, and, and then you have your your, you know, Mark Marquez, like you said. There, there's no such thing as as you never stop learning with the sport. So I find that really fascinating. It's something that never bores me. Um, it, it's funny, actually, a coworker asked me, my my boss and my coworkers know what I do on the weekends and they think I'm crazy. Yeah. Um, and he asked me once, he's like, well, don't you ever get bored riding around in a circle, like riding the same tracks? <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that is, that is a, a solidly good question from a non-rider. Yeah. And I was trying to, like, I sat down for a second there and I was like, dude, like, how do I answer this? Like, it's, I guess it's almost like with any sport, I'm sure every sport you're just working towards the perfection. And it's crazy, but no, it never gets boring. There's, <laughs> there's always a changing factor. Like you said, the weather, the tire wear, the heat, uh, you know, uh, I mean, and everything from just moving that brake marker just a couple of feet changes everything. Staying on the throttle a second longer changes everything. It's like mind blowing. So, uh, the racecraft on track is just amazing to me. And it's oh, so much fun until <laughs> I totally geek out over it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think one of the cool aspects for me is I've done a lot of different sports, I've played a lot of different things, but. Um, I like racing and motorsports in general because it's very uh, measurable. You can say I did this lap time and I was better than last time. Whereas if you play a soccer or a hockey game or football, whatever it is, stick and ball sport mostly, uh, you could have your best game ever, but still lose. And uh, wow. you know, That's I didn't like luck. that aspect of it. I just, I want control in some aspect. That's a big uh, I see that in my personality. So, like, I want to be on the bike and control it myself. And, and when I win, I mean, you could have a crew behind you or a team, yes, but it's you who rode the bike. And it's you who put it on right. the finish line or in the dirt, in the gravel. So um, it's very much up to you. Um, and there's nobody else telling you other than if you have a Bluetooth headset or something. It's all just you. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And it's addicting, man. When 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 I started – and my husband yells at me for this all the time, um, taking a lap timer to track days, <laughs> because for me that's like a gauge of like, am I doing better? Am I getting faster? Yeah. But the problem with that is if, let's say, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I experience this a lot actually. I'll have an amazing time. I. I think of going fast. I'm like, oh yeah, that lap, I was ripping it. Surely <laughs> I did my personal best. And I look yeah. down and I'm like, oh God, not only did I not do my personal best, but I'm three seconds off my personal oh, best. Yeah. So it's also, like so yeah. then like yes, you're like, what is the matter with me? Like my brain just perceives this as an amazing lap. So why did that not translate? So I wonder as, as a racer and rider, do you experience stuff like that? And how do you deal with that? Like, how does yeah, that not actually, rob you of your happiness?
1: <laughs> I have a good story about that. Actually, I have a little bit of opposite story. So nor- normally it's not a good thing to go three seconds back and wonder where that time went. Right. Uh, as a racer anyways. So um, you never wanted to have that to happen, but normally I would say for for you, if, if that's happening, probably three seconds slower feels a lot safer or right, it's easier. It's, it's not yeah. risk is what's, what's happening So, um, or you're not comfortable with that level of risk yet. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. But it's just more uncomfortable for you or you have to put the bike in different spots where you're just not used to yet. Um, mm-hmm. Now, there was a race that I had, uh, one of my best races ever. I think I did every lap within three-tenths of a second. And then on the last lap, I dropped a, a half a second. Um, so I did my personal best lap time ever on the last lap with used tires and, you know the final lap. And uh, I still got second place in, in the race. So sometimes that can happen. But I had the, the rider come up to me who we were battling with. And uh, he said, I looked down at my lap timer and I f- and we were going faster than I thought we were. But it felt easier. It felt easier, actually. <laughs> doing a faster lap time than I thought we were doing. Um, and I, I kind of took credit to that because, um, I I think that I'm a very smooth rider. That's one of my strong suits. I'm very smooth throughout the corners and predictable. I'd like to be, um, obviously if you're racing, I might have to switch it up here and there, but, um, yeah, it (laughs) it. (laughs) it, it just, it just depends how you're feeling. So, um, I would actually like to get a, a lap timer for my bicycle. I've been doing a lot of bicycle riding lately, and and racing mountain bikes, and oh, wow. uh, I made a little mountain bike course in my backyard. So it'd be cool to to go through it and see uh, what's my lap time, and uh, instead of just checking my watch, or you know, actually have it just a beacon or a GPS even would be really cool, um, just to see, just to see and measure it.
2: Oh yeah, for sure.
0: I mean. Yeah, then you, you, now it's, then it becomes a competition and even more fun. <laughs> compet- I thought about competition with yourself.
1: You know, if I had people come here and who are cap- able to come here and do the podcast in person, I could have a leaderboard and then everybody would be on the leaderboard for the podcast.
0: <laughs> that's cool. Yep.
1: Just you got to keep the course the same. You can't switch it up too much. Yeah. <laughs> so, And uh, tell me about Red Spade. Uh, that's a big thing in your life, right?
0: Yeah, um, it's, it's funny. Uh, red Spade kind of was, I started, whew, where do I start with that? I guess back to social media. Is um, it a card so,
1: playing game?
0: Uh, no, actually, so, so there's no such thing as a red spade. So that's kind of, you know, where, where that came from. It, it, I wanted something really catchy. Uh, and And, memorable and easy and but unique and it's kind of cool because it doesn't really exist so it makes people think about it what is it and when I started my social media account I guess in 2011 so right right before I started riding actually um when I got interested in motorcycles I was doing a lot of photography um and I just really appreciated the all the like Mechanics and the particulars and the details of the motorcycle. I thought they were beautiful, and sports bikes in particular. Now, I, I think all motorcycles are beautiful and have gorgeous aspects of them, and I love photographing any motorcycle. But obviously, sport bikes is my niche thing. What I prefer, um, but. That's because of the racing aspect. When I got introduced to um, my husband, I still remember taking me to my first uh, race at Road Atlanta. And this was actually a lot earlier. This was in 2009 when AMA was still going on. And um, I remember that race, and it was just like, wow, that's amazing. I didn't know you could ride a motorcycle like that. that right? You know, you don't see that kind of stuff on the street, uh, no. especially not in the city and your everyday surrounding. And I didn't really actually have a lot of people around me that rode daily or were into motorcycles, like, friend-wise. Um, like, my husband grew up on motorcycles, but he didn't really have one when we were dating and early in our relationship. It wasn't until about 2010 that he got one. Um, but anyways, going back to Red Spade. So, <laughs> um, uh, we, we, I started the account as kind of like uh, an experiment, just, sharing my daily journey of when I started getting interested in motorcycles so at first I would post a lot of photos of other riders and racers I would attend track days um, then I started going to Wera races and yeah. kind of like meeting all the racers there and and just I loved it I wanted to share that and at the time no one was really doing that like social media was still really young um, I think uh, Instagram for example was just a few years old there wasn't really a big bike community yet online, Um, and so I wanted to share that with people, and it took off um, uh, later when my husband actually started racing, or was, was considering racing, we both, once we both got into motorcycles, we both started buying more and more bikes, got into track days, you know, people were, were kind of inspired by the stories we were sharing and it wasn't just our stories i was sharing other people's stories other racers stories um i remember you know when damien was starting out he was little um uh, jackson blackman like you know i remember when he was little his dad was pushing him at road atlanta like onto his race like that was like amazing um
1: how old was was he when he was starting at the track maybe eight or ten years old you think I don't know how
0: what that. Younger- he was way younger. I think he was younger. I yeah. I can't remember because I don't know what year that was. But it was. It had to been somewhere in two thousand eleven something like that. Yeah. So he was little, and and now seeing these kids, you know, where they are now, it's like wow, right? But even back then, it blew my mind that you know that kids this small were racing, and of course, over in Europe that's completely normal. That's you know, yeah. that's how you get these amazing racers bred, but here in America, I think it's a little different. It's a lot harder. Motorcycling is not as prevalent, and certainly not racing. Um, just talking with the general public that doesn't know much about motorcycles, you know, they, they don't understand. They're always like, wait, what do you do on the weekends? Like dirt bike. Yeah, they you don't have to understand. Really,
1: you have to seek it out. It's not just readily available. I knew yeah. no who raced or rode at the track I just knew a few friends who had bikes that's all i knew about um so you have yeah. to research yourself if you want to get into it mm-hmm. it's not that easy of a door right now so that's kind of why i'm Mm-mm. doing that, get more people into the sport and i think it's great um so i'm just trying to share my information and hopefully we can snag a few uh, regular people
0: yeah and totally and it's it's actually getting getting a lot harder because of well not just COVID and in our economy but uh, yeah. just so many other factors but yeah when when we started and we started sharing all these and we started you know and we shared I shared every day I've been posting every day almost every day for years now um, yeah. you know whether it's some sort of tidbit thought and I always try to you know be really transparent and be I try to let my passion come through and sometimes it's it's I said obsessive you know whatever maybe it'll be whiny or way too excited but you know what that's that's how I feel about it and for the most part I think people really resonated with that and then we coupled up with sport bike track time and and um and once I started uh it, it's, it's really crazy about the, the whole brand ambassadorship we can kind of delve into that a little later too but sure. once I started getting more and more into it and the account started growing and growing people were like well why don't you start a you know your own race team and I'm like well that's kind of like aren't, isn't that a big deal and you know what turns out no anybody can be a race team I mean you know, my husband started racing and we're like let's make this legit let's actually start a company I and mean, we were we're an LLC you know we pay taxes we We do everything. We pay the fees every year. So, I mean, it's not a free thing. Like people don't realize how much goes into running blogs, running, just running your website, how much that costs. It's not free just to operate. No, it's not, you know? And so, and, you know, and that's also probably, that's why we've been lagging on some things too over the years. You know, we, we both have full-time day jobs. This guy upstairs works like 60 hours a week. I work at least 40 to 50. And then I'll do like side work stuff with my illustration and or photography but like in the beginning we were able to like help out and provide like anything like posters or if, if racers needed their um, t-shirts designed or decals made like when I had t- more time I would provide that for free I just wanted to help out yeah. um, and, and support them in any way I could you know we can't afford we don't have funds to fund our race team but if I can help out, you know, the young kids or somebody in need of it, you know, I, I was more than happy to do that. So, and we still do that to this day here and there. It's, it's getting tough right now with this, the season in full swing, but, sure, yeah. um, but so that's, Kind of like where it all where where uh, then got legitimized, you know. And then Moto America uh, saw, saw us what we were doing, and they reached out to us when, like in the very beginning. So we worked with them for like three years with Eson, and just just um, doing polls and like bumping questions around and asking people what they wanted to see and kind of wanting to figure out what would make the series better and more visible. Um and and it's funny because Isan was like, you know, when I first like met you and started like looked into what you guys were doing, like I didn't know what Red State was, and he was like, now I totally get it. Like, it's a culmination of experiences of everyone's. Like, Red State isn't. I mean, I'm the face of Red State, but it's not me. It's not about me. It's about Everyone has these same feelings and emotions when they ride, and they have very similar experiences. You know, at different levels, but we all go through the same motions, especially new riders when they're starting. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what it was. It was sharing those experiences and, and just saying that this is reality. Like, and it's okay if you fail, and it's amazing when you succeed. But there's ups and downs, and yeah, so I've... that was the whole thing. Was kind of create a platform where everyone can relate.
2: <laughs>
1: Right. Yeah, that's a, it's a big, it's a community you've developed, a community of people with shared interests who get together and feed off of each other. And, you know, it it all helps each other out with, with finding information or I found uh, the last podcast I did, uh, Ryan Kerr, I found him through social media when I blew my transmission and I needed a new one. Like we just met by chance from, from an account just like yours.
0: That's awesome, see, and that's, yeah, like, all of my friends right now, I've met through social media, thanks to writing. Right. and we made the effort, some of them were from across the country, you know, and we mm-hmm. made efforts, like, one of my best friends, um, Minji, she's, uh, well, she's in the Army, so for the most part, she was local in California, then she was in Texas, and she moved to uh, North Carolina, and, but throughout all that, you know, we, we've been friends for eight years now, and I remember, 2011 MotoGP we're like we're going to meet for the first time in real life and we did yeah. and ever since then we've gone to every MotoGP in the states together and it's like our thing where we meet up every every year you know so i miss indy by the way <laughs> yeah
1: well the is not going there but Moto America will be this year Come I saw up.
0: that yeah that'll be interesting <laughs>
1: yeah all different classes there i think uh, it's a really good thing that Moto America did the mini cup yes but uh, I'd like to see them also do a senior cup.
0: <laughs> oh, that's where where I come in.
1: <laughs> well, I guess so, but what about the, I guarantee you there's some really fast old guys out there.
0: Oh yeah, for
1: sure. Because I think the cutoff is 55. So what, happened, what happens after 55?
0: Oh, is it 55 for the seniors?
1: I think it's, um, I think in the Superbike class is 55. I'm not sure, ah,
0: okay.
1: are, but I assume they're probably about that age or lower
0: okay that makes sense yeah i i know the club level guys the senior guys are crazy fast
1: (laughs) they can be yeah they're really experienced they just don't want to crash too much
0: right well and and that yeah for
1: sure
0: that's a big thing
1: yeah i gotta ask you
0: crashing crashing sucks
1: (laughs) yeah i gotta ask you uh is that your natural hair color
0: Ah no no, my natural hair color is dishwater dingy, whatever that is.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that goes with your yeah, red. Yeah no shape. no I,
0: Yeah it's been you know and it's it's toned down a lot over the years. Back uh, back in like 2011 and 12, it used to be like fuchsia, like bright red. But that's a lot
1: of work. <laughs> right, I bet. And I just buzz it down every few weeks, and then it's like grass just comes comes back.
0: I yeah I envy that I especially envy that on the bike and on the track because this mop is unbearable
1: (laughs) a lot of work I bet
0: yeah Yeah, it's just it's hot and muggy always you know I'm here in Georgia and it is hot here all the tracks we go to are just 100% humidity all the time it's it's miserable so you you learn to be really disgusting and grimy and just hmm (laughs) <laughs> nothing sexy about it
1: <laughs> well it looks good on you
0: <laughs> you. Yeah.
1: and uh i i gotta bet that picture behind you did you make that
0: uh yeah there's a little bit of a story about this one um that looks badass saw... thank you
1: KTM uh, Rebel KTM.
0: yeah we we saw it on um on an instagram account and it was in somebody's office or sitting room Um, And we wanted to contact them. And I think it was like either the Red Bull team or I I can't remember anymore. This was like back in 2012, I think, or 13. Um, And we wanted to actually contact the artists and wanted to buy this piece. And we could not find it. Like we couldn't get an answer back from either the team or or just we couldn't find anything online about it. So From this little like like Instagram post, you know how little they are. kind of like just mocked up our own I'm an illustrator and uh, we printed it out on some canvas and and stretched it ourselves and Steve made the frame and so now we have it in our living room and it's uh hopefully it's not a massive copyright issue but
1: (laughs) no, I mean you recreated your own uh rendition of it
0: yeah, I mean, I wanted to buy the original, but since I couldn't find the artist, this is what we got. So we, we love it. Those... It hangs over our couch.
1: How much do those sell for on your website? These? Yeah.
0: Oh, I could never sell. I could never sell it. <laughs> that would be a major copyright infringement. <laughs>
1: yeah. It looks pretty cool though. You just have to. Uh, if you wanted to sell it, you just have to get rid of the Red Bull and the KTM, maybe, and then it'd be just abstract.
0: Yeah, you know it wouldn't be too hard for me to just illustrate something brand new and separate
1: you Yeah. Know,
0: for it i i definitely would not feel comfortable selling that <laughs> as it's an cool illustrator concept. i know how <laughs> yeah yeah we have um we actually have a lot of moto art around the house actually all of the art in my house is moto art yeah. um so yeah we have some some um show you some sure. custom one-off pieces there's a whole nikki hayden uh, wall back there nice. so got a lot of Nikki Hayden pieces um, so
1: <laughs> and um, you had uh, mentioned before we were talking the differences between men and women riding and uh, the challenges that they face in those different areas so how does being a female rider uh, how is that good or bad or indifferent for you
0: um, there's I think there's a few aspects that,
2: that can change
0: the answer. I mean, for the most part, it's I would say it's pretty indifferent. I felt it's definitely riding is one of these sports that both women and men can do equally or very close to equally. I mean, obviously riding dirt bikes, for example, I think women are a bit at a disadvantage and you have a lot of strength for that. Um, but that doesn't mean that women can't do it well. And the same with motorcycle racing. Um, but you know, when you go into physical sports like even anything like obviously wrestling or even hockey, could you imagine male and females playing together hockey like that would just it would be, be interesting. Would get destroyed.
1: What if what if you had to have like a certain quota of females per line?
0: Still, my, you know, my husband's six foot six, and if he hip checks me, I'm going about 50 feet that way. Like, there's yeah. no way. It's, a different it's not level. even like a contest. Yeah. It's, you know, physically, it's another level. So, but I do feel like when it comes to, to riding the machines, I think both sexes can do it well in their own respect, um, and can even be competitive um, together, much more than, than I think any other sport. Um, it kind of brings us together. Um, but in general I think I don't think women are taken as seriously when it comes to riding. Um, at least I experienced that in the beginning. Um, a lot of it has to do, like, for example, in the social aspect of let's say just riding on the street, you know, you get into riding. Most women get into riding what? Because of their boyfriend rides or, or someone or some guy in their family rides. It's yeah. very rare that, you know, you get a female that's like, oh to go learn to ride a motorcycle like it happens absolutely i one of my best friends actually got into it that way but it's rare for me i was introduced by males in my family um but and then you get out on the street and you start on a smaller bike because you know i started on a cbr 250r because i was extremely timid shy i was scared of the machine i actually never thought i would learn ride myself i was Up riding with my husband and he got so fed up coming home from work and and me waiting on him and being like can we go for a ride yeah I was like all right you need to seriously just get your own and I was like what that's a thing
2: you didn't I even think didn't know in that road yeah
0: yeah I was like it's a big motorcycle I can't do this like no way but you know if so you start off with a little bike and you're like all right it's cool but you know you get a lot of flack for it from guys yeah. my first three years of riding you know and I rode the little bikes um oh man I got so much hate you know and then you put put yourself out on social media and it's like hey when are you gonna get a real bike you know when you know get off that chick bike it's like
2: what
0: yeah and and I think back then uh racing the little bikes wasn't as prevalent as it is now it's it's I I feel there's a there's a shift coming
1: yeah there's definitely more of them out there yeah. I, was, uh, I also had a 2008 Ninja 250, um, and so I got some flack, too. But the thing was, people who are giving you shit are all sitting behind a keyboard, not riding a bike at all. So it's like, okay.
2: Yeah, exactly. Bikes,
1: but um, but for the most part, I was I didn't I didn't the wait. money, first of all, for a 600. I, I bought a, a motorcycle before I bought a car. Um, I was I was nice. able to drive my brother's car around most of the time that I needed one. Um, but uh, I, I thought and still think it's great to start on a 250 or a 300 or even 400. I would not want a new rider to start on a 600. I, would, I mm-hmm. would discourage that. And there's people who want to start on 1000s, you're insane. You don't understand what you're getting into, really. Um, yes, you could ride it around safely, but the chances of you doing that are almost zero.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and that's the thing. It's funny the the people and especially the girls that did start on bigger bikes on 600s and even 1000s, a lot of those females that I know had dirt bike experience. They already knew how to operate a clutch. They knew, you know, they knew yeah, what a really was and started loop a bike. You know, they, they knew the more aggressive side of riding. And I think literally someone that has a dirt bike background that just gives them such a huge leg up on riding sport bikes or any other street motorcycle it's invaluable to me um I did not have that pleasure so I was on the struggle bus for many years you know it took me two and a half years before I actually felt my machine under me and felt almost at one with it like I was so deaf to what it was doing I had to constantly look down at the at the um, RPMs and see, you know, um, oh, can I make this corner? Am I too low? Like, oh, it was awful. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. It was so much in your head, maybe but, it you know,
2: sounds
0: like. Very much, very much. Oh my gosh. Anyone that knows me, I'm always in my head. I overthink everything, I <laughs> overcomplicate things. And that's probably why I'm so slow.
2: <laughs>
0: well, yeah. It's, uh, we're working on that.
1: It's just, uh, you got to get into those habits where your habits become automatic. Even sometimes now when I'm mountain biking and I'm going over a really difficult section, I'll think like sometimes it will be a hard and then an easy. Um, and I'll take, I usually want to take the harder sections, but if I psych myself out, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that one today. I won't do it because I think too much. I'm like, shut up, just do it. Yeah, fine. You know how to do it. You're just psyching yourself out because why? It's Tuesday. Who cares what day it is? Just do it
0: exactly and that that moment of doubt of psyching yourself out is huge on a motorcycle like for me if i've ever done that i generally crash
1: yeah. <laughs> like it happens because you panic and then you're yeah. not using your normal controls that you're used to or you're jittery if you don't somehow. trust yourself yeah
0: yeah so. I, th- I think riding um a motorcycle is all about trusting yourself and and again it's it, I struggle a lot because I don't have a lot of trust in myself or faith in myself. Um, now that I've put so many miles on, I finally feel completely at one with the bike. You know, I, I do things on track and on the street. I don't, I don't even think about them like body positioning or, or any of that or or rev matching, just, just operating the motorcycle at a rather casual pace, even on track, like just, you know, a spirited, like, let's say, uh, middle pack intermediate like is so natural like I don't ever think about that anymore but that came from thousands of miles of me going really really slow and practicing all those things till I was blue in the face till you know and and I could do that because I was so slow for so long that I just like ingrained a lot of those things Um, you know, and I, and I was fortunate enough. I got to work with a lot of racers and, and, um, lots of awesome people gave me the day of time and guidance and to them, I'm super grateful because I did get to, I got the proper training really early on, um, instead of learning a lot of bad habits and then having to like go back and relearn, um. So I'm grateful for that. So again, that's why I always like tell people like go to the track, but get with an organization that has actual coaches and classes and will guide you if you want that guidance. Because
1: Yeah, you know, absolutely. And a- uh, You have your friend, uh, Jason, Jason DeSalvo, who I'm sure mm-hmm. you have a lot yeah. of knowledge from, and I took his yes. school, I took I think two, two pro schools, and one of them, he had some problems with the bikes one weekend at Gingerman, so we didn't actually ride together, but Uh, we got one coaching in person from him. So that was helpful uh, as well. And then went to Barber and did the, uh, the two days of um, classroom and then coaching sessions. And I'll tell you what, that was some of the best information that I got that helped me get, get all this stuff behind me. Really. That's awesome. Credit to him because um, that was the fundamentals that, that went the very next weekend, of racing, I won every single race I finished, and the one race I didn't finish, I was leading and I had a mechanical. My my battery got disconnected because I did I didn't. Oh, no! Enough, I guess. I was at Nelson Ledges and it just rattled out because the I, everything rattles out at Nelson Ledges. Um, so uh, <laughs> basically, I won everything that I could have um, from from his help the very next weekend. So it was a tremendous help, and then right after that. Um, was the the gnf at barber so uh, i did very well at, at the gnf that year so it was it was a uh, great help and i don't think he's doing the speed academy anymore but i wish i would come back
2: Mm-mm.
0: yeah he um so yeah jason's amazing and his um his coaching is he learned uh, he learned he taught me how to trail break for example in one of his schools that that he started um after the speed academy yeah so i he's definitely got one of those really cool like ways he teaches his one-on-one courses and then if the awesome thing with him is um, if you have an issue with something or if you can't physically do something that's because of like your inability to do it physically, he'll work around that with you to figure out a new, a, a different way to do it. So like he did that with me um, and that was, that was really helpful. Um, I have uh, neurological issues with my legs and I'm in a lot of pain all the time. So I can't put as much strain on the pegs, for example, which obviously as you know on track, that makes riding a motorcycle rather difficult when you sure. can't fling it around with yeah, your lower body.
1: T- I would put more uh, weight into your butt or the seat or your legs maybe.
0: Right. So we, we had to figure out what wasn't shocking the nerves and the muscles in my legs. Cause once that happened, it, I, my legs seized up. So it's, it was, it's interesting. And, and I mean, a lot of that, like I know I'm not going to be blazing fast ever because I physically can't use my body to its full potential anymore. Like I used to be able to, mm-hmm. but, that doesn't stop me from going out there and pushing till I literally, you know, can't anymore. Um, my, you know, now I'm able to manage a lot of that stuff with medication, but obviously there's a breaking point where once my body says, no, nope, you've had enough it's, it's over. Yeah. So, but, um, but yeah, he, he was able to work through a lot of stuff with me and, um, definitely awesome coach. Yeah. And something <laughs> that's that I right, uh, I feel really- bad. <laughs> What?
1: Oh, yeah. dude, I feel
0: bad because I was pumping for information.
1: <laughs> oh, no, yeah, well, you're fine. You're good. Um, one thing that's helpful, one of the drills he does is uh, going, like, uh, uh, 60% of your pace, mm-hmm. your pace around the track so that you do it perfectly. I never thought of this concept before. I, it was very helpful for me. But at first, I was like, why are we doing this? This is stupid. Like, I don't want to do this. Can we, and, like, looking around, trying to, uh, not really going around it, but. Um, having the, the want to, for sure, but after doing it and uh, seeing the benefits, I, I can say it makes so much sense. You can't go at the next level of speed or reduce your lap time if you can't do the other one, the slower one, perfectly. So once you master it and, and you can at least hit your breaking points and hit your lines and your apexes perfectly at a certain lap time, then you can go on and do it faster and safer the next uh, faster way
0: absolutely absolutely
1: i found that very helpful is there any uh current events you want to talk about in today's world i mean there's so much going on whether it's the killer bees or uh oh man
0: (laughs) i current events are causing me to have a nervous breakdown (laughs) that's what that's
1: happening yeah i think everybody's in the same boat with that right now
0: yeah uh, i I can't I can't even begin to say how many people I've like talked to and everyone seems to be just depressed and struggling with stuff and like I, us personally like I feel like our life is in limbo right now we are we actually just sold our house in April oh, yeah. um, and we were supposed to yeah we we got really lucky we sold right as the pandemic hit and uh, at first we didn't even think we'd be able to move because there was nobody was there was no movers there was no help and oh, yeah. we're like oh my god like we can't do all this on our own and fortunately it, it worked out and it was all fine it wasn't as crazy as we thought it'd be but we're kind of stuck in this town home right now and transition with a bunch of our stuff in storage um and kind of like waiting like what to do because we were going to buy land and build but now with everything you know we're all worried you know am I going to have a job in a couple of months Sure, so big deal. um yeah I work in the gaming industry um so <laughs> with So no what do you do for So I'm actually an illustrator and a designer for a, a company called Scientific Games and we print pretty much 80% of the United States um lottery said, t- tickets scientific and scratch tickets. I'm
1: sorry You said uh, scientific, scientific Games. Scientific Games. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um but we also manage a lot of um distribution of the tickets. So it's not just printing and making the actual product, but distribution, um, housing of it. We also do a lot of stuff with casinos now. We've bought um, alley and stuff like that. So a lot of the slot machines are under our jurisdiction. We manage a lot of sports betting. So two-thirds of our, you know, income for the company is based on casinos and sports. And when all that that got shut down, (laughs) yeah, so... You know, my part, the lottery part's doing great, but the other part isn't. And obviously, it's a massive company, worldwide company. So they're doing, you know, a really good job being able to pull through. But it's still a worry. You still don't know what's going to happen. You know, and
2: right, works
0: for himself. He contracts. So one day it's wonderful. The next, the clients could disappear. So you just don't know. So we're kind of just hanging out, waiting. And it kind of sucks because it's stressful. I feel like my life is on hold. I don't know what to do half yeah. the time. And then, of course, being in quarantine really sucks. Um, I'm kind of out of it now, but there, there was a few months that we were, like, really in quarantine. Um, actually, got diagnosed with COVID uh, uh, last month. Oh, so yeah. then we were both in heavy-duty quarantine for, for about two and a half weeks after that. And um, so
1: how was that situation? Yeah, he had COVID then? And he, how was his it, symptoms?
0: Uh, fortunately, um, he didn't have much. Uh, we so we think I was kind of like two, three days behind him in incubation period
2: okay. from when
0: he got it and then brought it home to me. Um, unfortunately, he got it at a funeral, family funeral, so um, kind of couldn't have avoided it. Yeah. Um, but his symptoms were very mild, same with mine. I think we we were very fatigued for about two or three days. Um, had some major drainage but we both suffer from horrible allergies. So that that was kinda like playing the game. Yeah. Allergies or COVID? We don't That's know. Hard, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um yeah, I think I had like a headache, a very different type of headache for yeah. maybe like a day and a half, but nothing crazy, nothing, you know, again yeah. we, we kind of isolated. But um yeah, no fevers, no none of the other symptoms. So we're very thankful that mm-hmm. We got the mild version of it.
1: So now you got the antibodies um, that everybody wants.
0: Maybe theoretically, but they're saying that that doesn't even matter anymore. There's, uh-huh. it keeps mutating. So I don't know, I just keep my distance.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Everything's changing so fast, There's, uh, flip-flopping, the CDC's flip-flopping, oh, now you don't need to be tested. Now you yeah. do need to be tested, it's just kind of silliness.
0: Well and that's the thing the the one thing that we learned when we went in and got tested and actually spoke to like legit doctors about it instead of just reading shit on the internet yeah can i say that
2: (laughs) you can say whatever Um, you (laughs)
0: want. uh and you know and the doctors were like super nonchalant about it honestly they're like honestly you're all gonna get it like it's impossible not to at this point just you know get it over with you know obviously wear the damn masks it's you know it's it just yeah.
2: helps,
0: but i'm like whatever there's so many theories about all of this i'm just it's crazy
1: <laughs> I, I don't know. even I know, know what there's gonna be more half the time there's gonna be movies made about this you know that's gonna happen
0: <laughs> oh unfortunately Yeah. Well, I, I i cannot face palm enough <laughs> about this here and it, and it's it's really sad but like i feel like there were parts where i was that i was so stressed out during the year and i got so depressed that like literally like living my life felt like a meme <laughs> like I, I couldn't do anything but just make fun of the situation because i inside i was like crumbling like you yeah. know it's, it's like what do you do
1: yeah and, and it's, everybody's <laughs> so isolated now and uh, yeah. like i've been uh i always try to talk to two girls i see on the street or in that grocery store or whatever and um trying to do that during a pandemic <laughs> is a little difficult um I was just yeah station about the pickles whatever was on the shelf you know with next to the girl next to me and she I had a mask on she had a mask on there was nothing to be worried about I wasn't up in her grill I gave her a few feet and <laughs> she just gave me a stink eye and walked away she didn't even say anything I was like oh that's like <laughs> well maybe I don't know maybe I shouldn't open with the pickles or something <laughs>
0: may not be the right thing
1: <laughs> i'm just saying i just strike up a conversation whatever's in front of you and uh, uh i guess that line didn't work
0: dude it's crazy dude. my girlfriend was just telling me the other day she, she lives in a condo um in a high-rise in atlanta and she, she was getting into the elevator and there was another lady in there had a mask on and she up, was like oh no no i ride alone what? And my friend was what? like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> like, what? Like, what? Like, she was so dumbfounded. She just, like, stepped back and was like, <laughs> you know, but, but just the audacity of some people, like, and just the way that that other lady, you know, said it was so rude and like, God, what is going on with, with humanity right now? Like, seriously. like, Yeah, people animals.
1: just need to uh, be, be nice again.
0: Right? I think people seriously forgot what it's like to be nice. Um, I don't know if social media is to blame for that. I think a big part of it is.
2: Yeah.
0: I think it's so easy to just, we've gotten so accustomed to putting on a, like a choreographed life online that I think people forget what it's like to be natural, what it's like to interact with other people. And I think you yeah. forget that everyone has feelings and everyone has an issue they're going through. Yeah. So,
1: for, You know, for me, it's interesting. Uh, this is a completely natural conversation with somebody I barely actually know. Um, we're getting to know each other, but um, this is a, a form of conversation that's going to be out there in public. And uh, we can't do bad <laughs> things about other people because we'll get, you know, flack about that. Things will come back to us. So, yeah, um, I might n- not be perfect, or s- you know, say the wrong thing here and there. But we're all trying. We're all just trying our best, and and uh, yeah, you know, we're putting it out there. At
0: least we should, you know. Yeah, try to be a good human being to to your neighbors, to yourself. You know, and yeah, this this is this is crazy though. This whole Zoom and everything.
2: <laughs>
1: very different.
0: Yeah, very different. Oh gosh, like a few years ago, this would be way out of my comfort zone too.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you know, I would love to have people in person and I and I still do. Um, but it's just, it's a different conversation when you're not right across from each other because we might interrupt each other here and there or uh, you don't want to say something because you want to let the per- other person talk, right? So it's just different. There's the speech and the, the stopping points are just a little different. Mm-hmm. The time delay with the computers, and it's just a little. Yes. Hard. But uh, I would rather do this than not do it. Than not Absolutely. Do it. So.
0: Yeah.
1: So yeah, I, I got to still uh, ship a couple of orders today um, for my business and um, go to drop them off at the post office a little bit later. But uh, I've been just working on uploading products. We just got M4 Performance Exhaust. Uh, system. Oh, nice. so if you go to my ebay store you can see those there we got them for all different modern sport bikes um from yamaha ktm aprilia mv augusta i'm not sure if there's an mv to be honest but there's kawasaki yeah. um that's good to know yeah there
0: might the, be
1: kawasaki in my future slip-ons <laughs> full systems race exhaust three quarters just headers um so that's exciting uh all this stuff online trying to get it on amazon next is the is the goal but it takes nice,
0: nice. That. yeah we we still have i i know steve has a lot to do still we um we partnered with sbs breaks uh last oh, year yeah. so we actually sell those yeah so we sell those on our website too. get them dropped to awesome people um but i think they partnered with vortex now so that mm-hmm. might be another thing so that's kind of coming out. So we'll see how that goes.
1: So you got SBS but, and Vortex. Yeah,
0: that's I, a lot I've of used, work.
1: I've used SBS and Vortex myself. Um, I highly recommend their their uh, brake pads for SBS. Um, they sponsored me for a while. Well, I
0: love them. We both love them.
1: I don't know if you can see it, but they're on my, my thing down here, SBS.
0: Oh, yeah, right there. I see it. And Vortex yep. right there. Yep. So, yeah. Very nice. Um, yeah, SBS has been backing us for ooh, four years now, I think. So,
1: yeah. 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 And, uh, so they've been really good to us. <laughs> I can't imagine those drop ship from international. Is there a warehouse in the U.S. that they come from?
0: Uh, yes, I believe they come from Florida. Florida? Okay. Unless they move to their warehouse. I'd have to ask Chris. I cannot, do not quote me on that. But... Yeah,
1: I'm just curious, but... <laughs>
0: Yeah, they're definitely drop shipped from Stateside.
1: Yeah, cuz that'd be that'd be yeah. a far that'd be a lot of shipping costs too if it's going from stateside.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, and the shipping costs now are actually um dropping too because of the partnership. So, I think it's I, I don't remember. It's it's some co- I mean, you literally one set of brake pads and and it's already free shipping. So
1: Right. That's nice. Yeah, brake
0: pads are not cheap.
1: <laughs> no, they're not, but they're they're consumable, you know, it's just something that you go through just like tires. Yep. Unfortunately, I rode with my, my cousin Gary over at uh, Pontiac Lake uh, the other day. Uh, he, he was my second podcast ever, if you're wondering who that is. Uh, so we rode okay. bikes, uh, we rode mountain bikes at Pontiac Lake and his chain came off uh, just no. for just a second and ended up uh, ripping out two of his spokes of his rear wheel and just oh, geez. his whole rim, just just like that. So unfortunately, oh. the rear w- rims are consumables on mountain bikes.
0: Okay, gotcha. <laughs> the,
1: whole, the whole rear um, wheel set. But does
0: that happen a lot?
1: I mean, that trail is hard on bikes because it's just such a hard trail and rocky and rudy. Um, it doesn't happen that often. Maybe it was a little loose and it needed, and it was just there's there kind of thing um but not not a whole lot usually it's just uh you're you're having the issues getting through the trail not your bike breaking too often but it happens <laughs> it happens and so do you do a lot of uh oh, yeah what do you do for fitness for your training for riding i mean that uh i know you said you got a lot of some some foot issues um is that neuropathy yeah
0: yeah kind of um
1: because my mother has, has I don't neuropathy. so I know what that's kind of
0: yeah like. so, so the yeah the doctors diagnosed it as neuropathy because they really couldn't narrow it down into to specifically what's wrong with me basically bottom line they have, they have no freaking clue um I ended up
1: I'm sorry fibromyalgia or something
0: so, actually, at first, we thought that it could have been that, but, but it doesn't fit with all the symptoms because it really only affects from me from my knees down. Okay. Um, I'm perfectly fine everywhere else. Nothing hurts. Um, and I ended up actually at Emory here, which they have an incredible neurological center. Um, and I ended up with one of the, their top neurologists. Um, I had some genetic testing done. I mean, they, I had all sorts of testing, um, and they couldn't figure out what exactly what it was wrong with me but we did figure out that it's actually something is misfiring in my brain that's why I can somewhat manage it with um, medication so certain antidepressants turn off certain reactions in the brain and they we figured out that that's how I can manage it so I'm basically kind of stunning my brain which um you know, it's it's it took a while to figure it out and figure the dosage out with several medications, um, which you can imagine can be very detrimental when riding track.
2: Sure.
0: Um, I Almost high-sided myself once when I took a little too much medication, and, and I just I, I remember I was going into museum corner at Barber, yeah. and I could my brain just couldn't comprehend fast enough downshifting the two gears and dipping in, and I you know my bike has no electronics. So that rear wheel just spun up and came up and I'm like, yeah. okay, we need to take a break. Cause yeah. my brain is not firing on all of its cylinders right now. Have um, you heard of, and that uh, was like one of those.
1: Have you heard of Dr. Daniel Amen? Um, he does what's called SPECT scans. I would highly recommend, I don't know if this would help you, but he's a brain doctor. Um, he does what's called yeah. SPECT scans, um, which is like a, uh, really good imaging of the brain for blood flow and, and what's going on with it. So it's something that I would like yeah. to, and at some point, it's basically just really good imaging for your brain that isn't done at a normal doctor's office. Uh, he invented this technology and I've, I've read his book and I've seen him at a seminar and I've heard him talk. Um, and he, the, the goal is to identify deficiencies or, um, or problems in the brain. Like I've had a couple Times where I've hit my head too many times. So I would like see what damage has been done and maybe what could I do to remedy that uh, right. or you know to see what see where I'm at, see what the baseline is today. Um, and he's worked with thousands of people from around the world. Um, Where's he based out of? I want to say California. Okay of course. <laughs> of course you know that's the place to be if you got the money and now uh, you want everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's an intelligent, very smart guy and uh, it's something I want to do. So if you actually have a, and I don't have any problems today, but if you have some problems, I might, might look into that a little bit. Um, if it's brain related, you might be uh, a, a good direction to go in.
0: Yeah, so like, th- that's actually a good, that's a good idea. Um, for, for years, so, so this issue actually started afflicting me when I turned 30. Um, so just to, just start- and I actually have a history. The, the symptoms that I have now started when I was 30. I have had other neurological issues um, when I was a baby. And then a little bit later, um, when I was like, between five and a half to 10 years old, I had another um, uh, spurt of it. I had, um, I had some mild Tourette's. Um, which were extremely obnoxious. They were the, the physical kind. So you're just, you know, you're slapping your hand or doing something really weird. And it went through my entire body. Like it was, it was bizarre. Um, the the neurologist and, and my mom was like, she took me to a neurologist then and they too, they couldn't figure out what was going on. Um, and it was really weird because my body every few months would react differently. Like it, it would progress or proceed to a different portion of my body. Um, uh, so I definitely have a history with it, um, and hence why we did the genetic testing. I did find out I have some mutated gene, and, and then they link that, yes, that's typically a thing where you have neurological issues or fibromyalgia, neuropathies, and all that. So okay, so it makes sense, but again, we never got an answer to what is wrong with me, which, and for the most part, you never will, because I mean, well, maybe. doctors don't know, so it's, yeah. But, but the goal was to, how can you treat it? So I think there was a period after like, oh my gosh, I think for three or four years, like straight, I, I would go and see all these different doctors and get all these tests done. And it just got so tiresome and stressful. Like it, it was, it was so bad. I've, once I got like medicated and I could deal with it, and there was a time when I couldn't walk for a few short months like the pain, pain was so bad I was pretty much couchridden. and my mom drove me to work for example you know she moved in and helped me out fortunately I have a desk job so I could you know that didn't impact my work but just the constant doctor's visits and all that and and as soon as as soon as my issue I could manage it somewhat with the painkillers or killers but but the medication by the way painkillers don't work at all Isn't uh, <laughs> um yeah, it's, it's nerve pain it's, it stems from the brain so there's there's nothing it doesn't people are like oh just take a painkiller I'm like no, oh, it doesn't work that way <laughs> so yeah so so once like I think I like stopped searching for answers after a while because I got so fed up with it and it just stressed me out so much but it may be a good time again to start
2: revisiting
0: and and kind of seeing if I can get out of it I I think secretly I was hoping that oh my body will just like figure it out and it'll go away on its own like the issues I had in my past when I was a child went away but that's the thing the older you get your body doesn't heal like it used to you know and I'm I'll be 39 god oh I can't believe I said that out loud I'll be 39 at the end of this month and um, his body just doesn't heal anymore, you know, it kind of goes downhill from now, <laughs> so, so yeah, maybe definitely look into some other different therapies, because I've tried so many things under the sun. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's frustrating, I, I do have hope, I don't know about for, uh for when, what the time frame is, but I think in in the next 10, 20 years, we're going to have some major breakthroughs on a lot of stuff. I, I sure hope so. Um, uh, people like Ray Kurzweil think they're going to live forever. I don't know if that's <laughs> the case. But, um, but yeah, it, uh, being not not 100% health is, uh, is not an ideal situation. And I've been there mostly with injuries, um, somewhat from racing. Uh, but not being able to use your body and then getting back on the track. Um, maybe that's why we do it. And that's why we love it so much because it's an escape from our daily life. And we get away from that stuff and just don't even think about anything but riding. And um, sometimes yeah. it's nice to, uh, to kind of get away.
0: You know, I, I hate to admit it because this is pretty depressing, but I, I think, I think most people that do agree- Extreme sports feel this too, um, but after a while, you just don't feel like you're alive unless you're doing that extreme sport. Like, like when I ride, that's like when I'm. It's, it, I don't know. That's
2: that's living. That's where, what you live for. Right they say everything else
1: is. Uh, yeah. Everything else but racing is just waiting until the next race or something. Uh, paraphrasing. Yeah, and yeah. There's times I co- I came, I have come back from a track weekend and I don't have, uh, like I don't get motion sickness, but if after going 150, 160 miles an hour the whole weekend, um, yep. and now you're laying in bed staring at, your, staring at the ceiling, like you feel like you want to move somehow in some way, even though you're all oh, yeah. tired and from all that ex- exertion, uh, in some way you're like, I feel like, why am I not moving? It just feels different. Afterwards.
0: absolutely everything so, feels slowed
1: down <laughs> you get so desensitized that's i think yeah. just when you're coming off the freeway and you go now you're in a 40 mile an hour you're like oh this is too slow i can't do this that's ridiculous well that's what yep. we, like every time we come back from the racetrack about life because everything's happening right in front of you uh, and it's so important and it, now life is kind of not important it seems it just has a different taste yeah, to it
0: Absolutely. Um, you know, and again, I don't race, so I'm not at that caliber and that, um, I, um, obviously don't have the skills that you do and, you know, and, and well, not and yet that's low well, 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 one day, maybe, <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you this one thing. And, you know, DeSalvo told me this once, um, and it, it really made me feel better. Cause I was I was sitting there, I came off track, I think I was at Barber and we were talking and I was just like, man, I'm like, so like depressed about this, like, I wanna be fast like you guys and just be amazing out there. I, want it, I wanna make my bike all out of whack under me and, you know, send it into a corner. And, you know, I wanna, I wanna ride my bike like that. I wanna make it scream, I'm like, but, but I'm too scared to. And, and, you know, he looks at me and he's like, well, w- when you're out there, are you giving it your all? At the time and having fun. I was like, yeah, I am. He's like, and that's all that matters. He's like, it doesn't matter. It's like the joy and the when you do get in that flow state um, and the joy and exhilaration that you feel is no different than what you feel, what Mark Marquez feels, what that first time comer here to the track feels. It yep. doesn't matter what your pace is and and what you're you shouldn't measure yourself up against anyone because what you feel is unique to yourself and and he's like and the best thing is it doesn't go away because the better you get like you just keep up in the bar and keep going it's like a drug it's, it's right.
2: kind of is and
0: cocaine yeah
1: yeah cocaine would be cheaper i think
0: right <laughs> probably healthier too like knock on wood i have not had any bad accidents yet i've crashed quite a few times now but I've never broken anything other than fingers and toes. Um, You know, I've not had a massive high side yet. Um, There's, there's things that I'm sure are going to come, which is probably why I'm getting more scared considering I'm, I'm pushing 40. (laughs) So yeah, like, like it's crazy. I had a, I had a very minor um, low side on the street about four months ago now. I was doing like 50 55 in a corner that I love very comfortable which is why I low-sided I uh I was with some friends it was in the evening it was like 7 30 in the evening it was actually a cooler day so it was probably like high 60s by then that side of the mountain had no sun on it anymore so the pavement was not heated we'd been sitting um on the overlook for at least 20 25 minutes my tires were cold and I know this I knew this and I, and I even said something to them like hey you know two of my friends with me like hey we you know let's take it easy because our tires are cold blah 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 what do I do I go out there literally and we're on the mountain so I pull off the overlook one corner second corner third corner low side and and it and and my friend was like what are you doing like you were like knee down like third corner in and I'm like yeah, I, I don't know. I I've forgotten what cold tires feel like because it, it was just such a new moment, you know. After so many years, I I forgot what it felt like because on track I'm used to to slicks and being on tire warmers. On the street, I really never let my tires cool off like that. I'm, and we generally ride in the heat of the day. And I don't know. Like I had a total brain fart, and and I must admit that day I was not feeling. I don't know. There's something I wasn't all there. And I think it like totally translated into that. Like, I, I don't know why I did that, but it was really dumb. And as soon as like, I'm crashing, I was just like, man. like, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Not like,
2: ideal. Are you,
0: what are you doing woman? And, you know, and it like, cause it's like I'm going into the corner and I'm like, I am awfully low. And then all of a sudden, like I hit the apex and like an idiot, I just get on the gas a little bit. And that little bit just like flung that rear out from under me. So. Yeah, know, it was so easy to do.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> so easy, and um, <laughs> it demands respect at all times, no matter what. At any time, absolutely. You fall off. Yeah, it's um, it it has to be respected, and uh, even an experienced, I would call you an experienced rider like yourself, it can catch you out. You know, if you're not used to those conditions, and you're just doing something different, you're maybe uh on vacation, riding, riding with a different group of people. Um, just have to be careful.
0: Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing, and you're right. Like I think I just didn't I just didn't respect my tires. Like I knew it. I knew yeah. I you know what I was supposed to be doing, and I just for a split second my brain was like, Yeah, no, 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 bad idea. So, really? you know, what, what's crazy though is that crash was so mild. I have video of it, um, and it's I'm totally fine. I didn't even get a, I didn't even get bruised up because I was so close to the ground already. Like, yeah. and I just let the bike go, and it I turtled. The bike went into the ditch, you know, whatever. I rode it home. I was fine. I was riding the next weekend. Something happened, like over time, where I am my I'm not right right now. Like I cannot get back to that comfort that I was before it happened and it's again it's not like it's the first crash i've ever had but something i don't know if it's because it was on the street and the that mortality sets in of holy crap if there was a car there i'd be under it um just so many things i got so lucky with so many things in that crash where just one other thing it could have been terrible if it was the next corner i would have slid right off the mountain sure um uh, or, you know, if the, that car was coming any any sooner, it would have hit me, you know, I would have gotten in its way, and, and right now, I just, like, I don't know, I have, like, this fear of leaning almost, like, it's crazy, which is a big part of riding, and it's the worst, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, how do you get over, how do you mentally get over that fear of, and, and it's weird. It's not even like, I don't even fear it, but yet subconsciously there's something there that's making me so stiff and rigid and it's frustrating because I'm very aware of it. Well, so so How do you deal just, with that?
1: I would just say you would have to, um, you have to understand your limits and maybe you found your limit that day. Um, going back to injuries, I've only really been seriously injured one time and that's because I hit something. So, yeah, when you, when you crash, you obviously don't want to hit a barrier. So, um, I, hit, I hit the pit wall at Grattan in 2015 mm. at about 130 miles an hour. Come, coming up to the right-hander where it dips right there before you turn left. Well, where it dips, I high-sided and it went straight, straight into the wall.
2: Oh.
1: Um, so, I broke seven bones, collapsed long, concussion, hospital for two weeks, that kind of thing. And... Uh, I have gone back to the track, and uh, unfortunately, wasn't able to continue racing just because of money. Uh, if I find the money, um, that's why I'm starting the business to help fund racing. So my goal is to get back to the racetrack and race professionally at some point, hopefully full time. Um, oh yeah. I just need to find enough. Um, I just need to sell enough products to be able to do that. Um, so I did do a track day again in 2018, um, but I was very timid on that track day mostly because I was getting ready to sell the bike I had just fixed. Um, and not really, Oh no, <laughs> so I wasn't looking to throw the bike down the road. So I was going pretty slow that day. But by the end of the day, I was passing people again. Uh, I mean, I wasn't the fastest guy and I have no idea what my lap time was, but it was just good to get out there. I think I did like a, a half a track day on it. It wasn't a lot of time. Um, but, uh, It was very good to get back out there. And yeah, when I went by that corner, I was like, let's not go 100% in this corner. Um, And it makes, I mean, I am a huge advocate for safety and improving safety. And that's kind of one of the reasons I don't ride on the street is because there's just lunatics everywhere and I wanna race. So um, going to the track is much safer, but I think it could be better because obviously I hit a wall Uh, There should be at least air fences in those, in those areas, but the air fences are a lot of money. Um, I think the solution is don't build new tracks with walls that you could hit. I mean, the old track, not a whole lot you can do. I don't expect them to the whole redesign the the whole thing. There's not money for it. So just have to be careful in a certain, in a couple corners at every track, there's, there's some spots you have to be careful about. And if you're on the street, You can't race on the street you can't
2: Mm -mm.
1: you know getting it um sending it on the street because you're going to hit a curb you're eventually you're going to yeah hope not but um it's going to happen eventually
0: and it and it sucks like you know i i had i'm guilty of sending it on the street you know within my limits um definitely um you know, look at my Instagram feed and I definitely promote me down on the street and all that stuff. And it's not safe. I mean, it, I can't be rated all the time by my husband for this. Um He, he like you, you know, he wants to race. He prefers to race. Once he started racing, he pretty much gave up all street riding. Um, he still has a street bike and he takes that thing out. Oh, four or five times a year. You know, when I beg him to come on a, you know, group ride to Deals Gap or something. He actually just came out with us this weekend, last weekend, Um, but he, his style of riding on the street, like, is grandpa, like, yeah. he gets mad at me, which is laughable, because I consider myself stupid slow amongst all of our friends. I feel like I'm the slowest, um, and all the guys up in the mountains here rip, and there's there's a level that I won't cross like I have my limitations like because I just know but but still doing what we do like you can't control any of it you can't control gravel temperature other vehicles um bike malfunctions um suspension issues you know you you just can't control so much on the street which is why he doesn't take the risks. I still feel like I take too many risks and it's probably because I don't I feel like I don't get enough yet. Like I've, I haven't had my fill yet. I haven't been riding since I was a kid, and so wow. I'm constantly hungry. Nothing is ever enough.
1: Sure. Um, and I will say, if I had, if I had more money, I would definitely buy a street bike. Um, but I would right now, and for the last decade or so, all of my money has been gone to the track. So uh, the street bike isn't hasn't been as important for me. And right. you know, I just bought a a bicycle that's worth a lot of more than some people's motorcycles so yeah. <laughs> I riding and i, I traded my bicycle, my motorcycle in for a a really good bicycle uh, to, uh i got a road bike bicycle and a really good full suspension mountain bike so that's kind of what i've transitioned nice. to so i'm still out there riding it's just not on a not on a street bike cuz i get oh, a when i ride great. on the, if i were to get <laughs> a street bike again i would i would want to get not A 600, I would probably wanna get like a 400 to be honest because I've been arrested on a 600 for speeding. (laughs) That's why I went to the racetrack. So it's like, I know what they're capable of. Why do you need a a machine that can go 150 miles an hour for the street? It's stupid. A 400 will still go over a hundred miles an hour.
2: So
0: that's a good question. And starting out on smaller bikes, I'm a huge small bike advocate, always have been. I believe you learn a lot more skills on it. I feel I should have stayed on my 250 much longer than I did. Um, I made the mistake of taking my 600, my street bike onto the track one day at Barber because I thought maybe the 250 would struggle too much. Mm-hmm. And that was a big mistake because I fell in love with it so much with the acceleration that I no longer wanted my 250. Um, I, and, and in doing so and giving up that bike so early, I know I stunted my growth. Um, on the motorcycle and yeah I went back and forth should I get a 300 this and that I in the end I decided to stick with the 600s because of the joy they bring me Um, I've ridden several uh, race 300s and you know they painfully pointed out my inabilities and and what I lack in writing Um, and it was you know it's obvious I need a lot more work but, you know, but that's okay, I made that decision, like, I get a lot more fun out of these 600s. So I'm gonna stick with this, um, again, for my body, too, it was it was really difficult to ride those small bikes. You don't rest on a small bike, you're working so hard. And my body just hurts so much with, with my legs and everything that, man, when I'm at like, like a, in a carousel corner, I'm taking a break. I'm just hanging out on my bike, like, oh, God, okay, so breaks? So those seconds, that half a second break of releasing my muscles allows me to ride further and longer.
1: Yeah. And more power would be helpful.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I made the decision a long time ago. I'm not going to be the fastest. That's not my goal. Um, I do want to get faster, but it's okay. You know, I'm not going to be competing. I'm not going to be winning any podiums. My goal is still to get a race license, but it's more of a bucket list. This isn't I can't afford to do this, you know, every weekend, every month, I'm not going to do a full season. It's just not feasible for me. And that's okay. So I decided to stick with a bike that's just fun for me that I can be lazy on. Um, with that said, thousands, you know, especially the new ones now with all the electronics, they're so easy to ride at like a slow to spirited pace. Like they don't even feel like a thousand, like what it used to you know and i think i think now a lot of people will go to 600s and 1000s for the street because it's just something they want and something that is attractive to them and fun and you know, so what? So it, like, like if I were to get a 1000 right now, I'd use like 20% of it on the street, right? Like I'd probably never make it out of second gear. Cause why would you? It does like a hundred, my husband's zx 10 does 150 in second gear. I've done it. I know. and it's, It was freaking amazingly frightening and awesome at the same time. And it's like, why would you ever need this bike? Like, you know, but then you turn it back and you're like, you know, but these are toys. These are babies. These are I mean, again, if you, if you look at my feed, it's all about like, oh, I love this thing. Like I don't have kids, but I have motorcycles. I have six motorcycles in the garage. So
1: yeah, it's like, like uh, two wheeled Ferraris. Yeah.
0: So, you know, I, I've like started to look at it a little differently. And, and I think I used to judge people that, um, I'm guilty of judging people that, couldn't ride their motorcycle to its like full potential and and they talk a big game and they had these 1000s and all i'm like you know what no nah, that's not cool either because for the most part motorcycles are advertised to your everyday user like like we said um racing is, is such a niche and that not many people even know what it is so you can't blame people for wanting these shiny big bikes you know especially here in the united states where bigger is better and all that and and in the end it's they're just our toys. Like this isn't, you know, this isn't India or China where many of us commute on a two-wheeled vehicle. Most of us have them for fun. It's a pleasure. So if you don't have something for, yeah, if you don't have something for fun, have something you love and you love to look at and feel. And so I'm like, at this point, I'm like, ah, you ride what you want, you know, but, but to your point of new riders, You know, it depends how much experience they've had. They may be better off on a smaller machine. It, it crashes a lot better. Well,
2: the,
1: the reason <laughs> you know, I would advocate but, for a new rider getting a smaller bike is that they will learn faster on the smaller bike and probably stay in the sport longer than getting a 1,000. I've heard uh, friends, um, man, I had a 1,000 Busa. It was all built, you know, it had nit- nitrous, and it scared the shit out of me, and I sold it the next month. Well, that's cause yep. you the wrong bike. Like <laughs> that's not how you start into motorcycle. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> yup, I've, I've, I've heard those stories from people too. And you know, and, and it's true though, the little bikes are really twitchy. The, and any input you put in is, you feel that input back tenfold. But they're
1: very forgiving. So if, yes, and that a big throttle adjustment um, you're not gonna kill yourself like you would on a bigger bike as easily. You can still crash, right. but even when I when I was about to sell my 250, I had the 250 and the 636 side by side. So I rode them back to back a couple of times to see the differences, and I could not believe after riding the 250 for so long, jumping to the 600. The 600 you could you could move around. It was you could turn it, but the 250 was like you just took a couple hundred pounds off the thing, and it was just so nimble you could just turn it. You could do anything with it. and I didn't realize how, to me, how easy of a bike it was to maneuver.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. I, it, so I've been, so ever since I crashed my 600, I'm waiting on parts, which God thinks that COVID probably will never get here. Um, okay. But I've been riding my Z125. Okay.
2: Which is... even smaller. <laughs> it's like yeah, so
0: I, I have to... Ch- yeah so i have to trailer that to the mountains like i can't you know i won't ride it on the highway or anything like that i'll blow the motor i mean it only does like 65 70 downhill if, if i pull in the clutch in
2: a truck. and draft
0: somebody yeah but but it's great It's it's great fun and it's been great training and actually when when I got that bike three years ago I rode it a lot. I when I finally learned to actually ride that bike. It is the only bike that I can say I have ridden to its full potential and maxed it out and like high sided myself on and and, like scared myself the crap out of it. But like to the point where like I can be in a corner and I'm low siding and I'm just holding that thing up and (laughs) I won't do that anymore. But but I was I, I was able to learn on that bike thanks to some friends that that ride here on minis, and when I went back to my 600 after riding that little bike, oh my god, the confidence, the just I felt like I was one with my machine, and and I rode my 600 better than I'd ever ridden it before.
1: Yeah, and, that's and then eventually I crashed. <laughs> yeah, that's good though. It, but- it gives you. You know if you can do it on a small bike you can learn and practice crashing at a slower speed then you go to the big bikes and then you're more ready for it you understand yeah. what certain inputs will do to the machine and how it mm-hmm. handles
0: yeah it definitely that's very true
1: <laughs> yeah and um you said you didn't have a lot of dirt track experience but where are you riding the minis is that like cart tracks or do you have a specific place um
0: so Generally, we ride them in the mountains. We'll trailer them up and just ride the, any twisty tight road. Um, you know, any, any road without massive elevation, unless it's pretty wide open where you can just, you cannot lift on the mini, like, yeah. like or break or anything. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with Deals Gap. Yeah, um,
2: I've
1: actually rode there in 20, uh, 2011, I think, 2012. We went down there with oh, a there you go so riders um all all in suits and sport bikes and that was a blast
0: yep yeah so so we go there a lot i love riding the mini there um it's it's just it's such a fun technical road and so tight it's perfect for the minis like like if any motorcycle shines it's super motos and minis shine on that road yeah <laughs> but everything else is a lot of hard work yeah it's, but, uh, but yeah So. Or parking lots, parking lot drills. Those are always fun. Um, that really helps me work on my skill sets and get used to things and, and working on my vision and stuff like that. So
1: Put up a that's of so
0: corners. important is like vision.
1: Yeah. So what is something uh, you said? You said yourself you don't think you're a fast rider. So what do you think you need to work on?
0: Oh, so many things. The list goes on. <laughs> <So many things. laughs> um, I think vision is, is a big issue for me personally. Um, I, I have consistency issues with picking out and, and sticking to my break markers. So my, my biggest issue right now is, is breaking, um, and keeping that throttle open to that first break board, like open all the way. Um, I know that at my pace, I should be able to, um, and it's really not a risk. It's not going to be an issue yet for some reason, like my brain just goes, ah, too fast. Yeah. And I lift off a little bit. Like it's it's a total, just mental struggle and fight. Like I notice if I yell at myself in my helmet uh, at track, it helps and yeah. I amp myself up. Um, but like i i am very consistent in my my lines and and i'm very predictable and smooth like i'm not jerky or anything like that so at least people behind me know always what i'm doing like my body position like i speak with my body like when i'm going to break i you know sit up lift i do all sorts of things with my body like it cracks people up but i've had so many riders come up to me and they're like i love following you because i know exactly what to do like i see you setting up for a turn i know like i and i do the same thing on the street too so Leading group rides, like the girls are always like, I know exactly what you're gonna do because it's like you communicate well, your body, with your body. yeah.
1: Um, when you're, you're gonna consistent and predictable. Yeah,
0: it's yeah. You know, Katzin Pell actually taught me that. One of my very few track days, she um she doesn't uh, teach many people, but she was kind enough to go out there with me and shadow me, and then like point out stuff. We were at Jennings, I think, and she actually was like, Hey, I want you to do this, you know, for body so that people can tell what you're doing behind what that are behind you so if you're breaking coming off you know um especially a novice where everyone is that like everyone's learning and nobody knows what's going on I swear to god like I went to follow a friend a novice one day and I was terrified because <laughs> everyone like drifts all over the place and it's totally fine it's totally yeah, normal it's you know stores, but... everyone's
1: if you're seeing it you're like
0: oh my god don't do that <laughs> yeah you know but everyone's learning we all did it it's you know it's totally fine but like going back into that I was like oh crap like I'm actually scared to pass these people because I don't want to like <laughs> end anybody but um so so with I think I just lost my train of thought <laughs> with the body positioning and everything but
1: so yeah, uh, leading people around the track and um, your body position is very helpful in being a smooth rider. I would say, you know, um, if you can hold a line through a corner and you're safe and predictable and people can trust, yep. you're ready to race. That's all it takes. If you're safe and well, predictable, all all racing is, is a track day with a standing start and you get a piece of wood at the end, maybe. That's all it is. So. Don't okay, think of so it like, oh, I have to go super <laughs> fast. Just think of it as do the same exact thing you normally do, but with a start, just with, there's just a start. And then after a certain, normally it's 20 minutes for a, a track day session, but it's gonna be a little shorter. Right. Just do eight laps and, and then you'll come in and then you can, at the end, it's cool. You get to wave to the corner workers and wave to the fans <laughs> that are there and then like, don't try to go any faster. Just do exactly what you're doing, and you'll see where you stand. And you'll be like, oh, wow, that was so cool. I passed three people, or whatever. And, uh, and we battled, and I got faster because I wanted to pass that guy who I know I'm faster than in track days, right? So then you try new, new moves, little by little. You're like, oh, maybe I can pass. That <laughs> I've been behind him for 16 corners. Uh, let me try in the braking zone here, and then that's how you slowly get better. Is because I'm so competitive. I want to race the, the my friend to the car or whatever it is, you know. So <laughs> if you're in front of me, I'm gonna try to get in front of you, um, and you have to take different lines to do that, and you have to um, do it safely. So you have to, you know, acknowledge that you're there. You're not gonna say, "Hey, yeah. seeing you now," but uh, you just got to get be beside them before the, the corner like you know from track days it's just slightly yep. more aggressive and when you're in novice um, I mean people are pretty respectful it, it's not that yeah. of that people take each other out really it's not I, I would expect it to happen more often to be honest but it, it does happen but I've never taken another rider out in all of the races that I've done um, well that's <laughs> bumped into each other a few times um sure that happens but um not enough to either me crash or the other rider crash so i think that's at least admirable
0: that's good
1: so i'd say you're
0: and that's the thing like man i i want to try it so bad i'm just so so i'm gonna be like back marker right and i know that like the front runners are gonna pass me and when they're my biggest fear is that it's going to come down to the last two laps, and these guys in the front are going to be fighting each other for that position, and they're going to come up on me. And there's, and I've been in this situation, I know it's really bad, but at a track day where you know, two guys are playing in advance group and I'm just in their freaking way. Cause I'm like 10 seconds off pace, at least if not more. And the only reason I'm there is because I'm super predictable and smooth. And, you know, I'm worried that in a race though, when like, when you're seeing red and you're competing, like there's just no room for my slow ass, you know, going around the corner and that closing speed is so it's so different
1: (laughs) i I understand what you're saying but um i think that uh you know personally i love back markers so because back markers gives you a chance to make a gap between the next guy so sometimes i look at it as a good thing and uh you might be lapped it's very possible i was lapped in one of my first races but it was also a, a wet drying track And I was just like, I'm just finishing the race. I don't care where I finish. But I would also say you should demand your space a little bit more. Like, although they might be coming by you, you can always, you know, look over your shoulder if they're coming by or check where they are. I do that. I like to look behind me. Mm -hmm. Um, I I find it helpful to see what's going on because we don't use pit boards uh, at this level. Yeah. Um, Yeah, take a look around, see what's going on, but don't forget what's going on in front of you. Um, and so, yeah, just demand your space more. You paid for that race, you know, so you're, you're true. You're just as much meant to be out there as they are. Um, and it's just part of the scenery. You know, it's, if, if you are a back marker, then it's just what you are for the first couple of races and don't be discouraged by not winning your first race. You know, that's okay. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> Everybody starts at their own level. I think you'd be surprised at how how slow some of the racers are. I mean, there were, there were experts my very first year that I was passing as a brand new novice. So sometimes it's all over the place. Um, and sometimes there's riders who are super inconsistent. So usually when I went to the track, I'd know that um rider a or rider b would be always at the front but rider c might be at this track and might not be at the next track so yeah times they have bad weekends and you could have a good one um so i i would say if you love it as much as you do just try it um just try one and see how you like it
0: for, for sure i will um i really wanted to this year and then COVID hit and kind of blew all those plans out of the water both physically and financially yeah for me like i i've been i've been working really hard at the gym just trying to lift weights and get stronger i like i noticed it so my two favorite tracks that i frequent the most because it's very close to me and they have a lot of track days is barber and little tally in alabama And I noticed through the back chicane at barber like I had reached my limit like I could not physically it felt like my legs were on fire I was doing squats I couldn't do it fast enough so to be faster I needed to work out more so I worked really hard over the winter and did everything I could around my my leg issues and I got stronger I think I lost like 15 pounds I gained muscle I was like yeah we're gonna like well let me Requisite that with i'd gotten fat
2: with <laughs> <laughs> i just got back to normal
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> and um you know i was so excited to to go do it and race i fixed my my uh, my bike up just to make sure i'm like all right it's safe now it's we're good we're doing this and then COVID hit and i fell out of the gym and i did that to myself i could have you know done things on my own but i didn't and i kind of got really out of shape again and it kind of all fell apart you know then and I did a track day and I was like oh my god I'm so slow like what happened (laughs) so that kind of like flew out the window and I honestly haven't even been back to track since April so I'm going Monday and and the goal is just to have fun I I need to get back in my happy headspace I need to not worry about lap times about any of that, I, I actually signed up for intermediate. I was like, I don't want nothing with advanced. <laughs> like, I just want to go out there and have fun, and you know, maybe work on on my my vision, obviously, and some break markers. But I don't, I'm not gonna track my progress or the lack of it because that just is gonna stress me out even
1: more. Yeah, well, more importantly, to... it's supposed to be fun, right? You're not having fun. You're
2: not. Yeah.
0: Busy. Yes, exactly. You know, and that's that competitive part of me, which I'm not really, I'm not competitive with other people. I'm competitive with myself. I, I am, unfortunately, I compare myself to other riders and, and that's dumb because they have other experiences. They are better because, you know, a plethora of reasons. And there, there's really no reason to compare because there's always someone better, but you know, being human, I still compare as much as I try not to. Sometimes yeah. it happens, and, and yeah. you know, it So You get to get away from that. It's
1: stuff. such a natural thing to do.
0: Yeah. But, but but it keeps me competitive with myself. I just, I want to do better every time. So I just need to focus just on, like, two things. Because I usually focus on way too many different things, and then it all falls apart. So, yeah. <laughs> but
1: and, uh, you I'm are- looking
0: forward to that.
1: You are a, a big Kawasaki fan, that's right. You had the Z125.
0: Yes, yes. My my husband has um, the zx 10 r He had a ZX10R before a 13. Um, and that was actually the first Kawasaki I ever rode. He let me, before we got into racing and before that bike got converted, it was yeah. a street bike.
2: And he let me ride it
0: um, to work one day. And I was like, oh my God, this bike is so easy to ride. Yeah. I can totally see why all the girls ride this bike on the street. It's got a long wheelbase. Like, I could literally fall asleep on that thing. It just it drives itself. Like, like, an idiot can drive it at a casual pace. It's such a solid bike, and it's got a low center of gravity. And, um, and ever since then, I've just loved every Kawasaki I've been on. Um, the 636 is kind of what I'm leaning towards right now, well, um, what I'd like to get. The brand new one.
1: Brand new one, 2020.
0: Yep, I um, I've, I've decided that you know the price range for the price what they're offering it right now at. I'm like, dude, I can do totally do that.
1: Ten thousand, I think.
0: Yeah, it's like nine nine nine. So yeah, ten thousand for the non ABS, which which wow. I don't want ABS anyway. Right. <laughs> but
1: I think they used to start at twelve five or something. That, yes. Yes. Big big yeah. uh, cut in price for a new model i mean is it a new platform or is it the same platform
0: uh i believe it's the same platform i think they may have enhanced some of the electronics and like tweaked the fairing or something but i yeah. think it's the same as like the 18 for the most part um which is still i have great ridden place. the. I t- yeah it's i it'd be my street bike which is kind of like a waste because it's <laughs> Yeah. gonna probably be so much better than my my track bike which is a 2008 oh man yeah
1: your difference there
0: yeah so so that's that's been the nice thing about having two of the exact same bike for street and track obviously my track bike has like a ton of stuff i mean it, it handles it feels completely different it has a completely different power band different like i it's so different and even the setup how i've got the bars and of course the the seat and all the fairings and everything on a track bike is so much more aggressive than it is on on my street bike um but just the fact that it's still the same make and model it definitely helps going from one bike to the other
1: yeah I'd um, say so this so. Will, Very similar be a
0: little bit different yeah mm-hmm. it's still similar and, and i've yeah, been riding
1: Mm-hmm. I uh, I've had three Kawasaki's and a Triumph, so I like I like the Kawasaki's as well. Uh, when I get another bike, I would probably go Kawasaki or Yamaha. I think for a six hundred yeah. on the track.
0: For track, yeah, for sure. Those, that yeah. that R six is a track weapon for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I've I'm only going. ever ridden one on track, and it cuts it cuts like a razor. <laughs>
1: yeah, there's so many riders on the Yamaha R six um and there's so much data and there's so many parts mm-hmm. uh it does seem like a good option but i've i've never rode a yamaha um i've always been a kawi guy and i would there were were never a lot of kawasaki's on the grid there were maybe a couple here and there uh, yeah but i, I always that. felt like a little bit of a an oddball i've always been a little bit of an oddball obviously but um it was the, the odd man out on the Kawasaki, and it was not a slouch. It was a very fast bike. Um, and now you hear in Moto America, they're dogging, is it Richie Escalante? He's on the 600. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think it's Sean Dylan Kelly. He was saying something about, yeah, but you have another 36 horse, uh, CCs in there. So isn't that, is nobody going uh, to address this problem? And But I don't know if that's, right. I don't know. Um there's added weight, right? There's so that's not a benefit. Yeah. There's uh, but it is. So the
0: new, it's heavier.
1: It is heavier, and it's like uh, I don't know how they. 15 pounds you know, heavier. 15 pounds is a lot. Every ounce counts on the track, so. Yeah. I don't think. Yeah, they,
0: it's 15 pounds heavier than mine.
1: Yeah. So, it's just uh, <laughs> it different. Uh, we'll see what they what comes of it. I don't think they'll change the homologation to be able to race that bike. I think it's still legit. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, I think it'll be okay. I think that weight, the weight difference, kind of evens it out. Um, I mean, it can be a little quicker on the get go.
1: Yeah, but, but I don't um, know if they're any faster in the speed traps. I think they're just about equal. I'd have to look at the numbers.
0: Exactly, and I think that's what they're looking at. So. Yeah, maybe it is. Yeah. So, yeah, so we shall see. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm saving money right now. I've been diligently saving, which is the other reason why I haven't been doing much. Saving for that new bike. Yeah.
2: Uh, You
0: know, with, with getting a new bike comes, comes new responsibility too, because with my Hondas, you know, they were old, they're, you know, they're my bikes and, and they're, you know, again, they're old, like after a few years of having them, I'm like, I gravel trap them I I don't care it helps me it helps me ride and not worry about like oh I don't want to cross this bike like right. when when I crashed my bike on the street even I was like yeah that really sucks I love my bike but you know what like it's been a great eight year run like yeah I was just shy of like 50 miles off 40,000 on it and um kind of yeah but I kind of wish I like saw that roll over <laughs> If I ever get uh, my parts, if they ever come in, maybe I'll I'll see that roll over. But
2: yeah, I, yeah.
0: I mean, it's, there's something to be said about riding just like beat up bikes that like that fit like an old shoe, you know, are comfortable and you don't worry about them.
1: You know, I I so. understand that sentiment. Um, you know, when you first get your bike, everybody thinks it's oh, it's my baby. I don't want to drop it. I don't want to scratch on it. And then. Uh, you throw it the road in the racetrack, you're like, well, that, that wasn't good. Um, now you got to go fix it, right? Um, but after a while, after my first parking lot crash, trying to do a circle burnout on my 250 when I knew nothing, I um, broke my OEM rear set, which is not really a rear set. It's like a part of the bike somehow. Um, oh, no. And uh, I cried, you know, it was my first bike and I, I threw it down the, it wasn't that bad, but. Um, you realize after a certain point that, that it's not your baby anymore. It's just a machine yep. that can be replaced and they're all parts. So yes, it sucks doing it, but unless you screw up the frame or something, which that could be replaced too, um, they're all just parts. So to take the emotion yep. of it was helpful for me because uh, I wasn't that much of a crasher, but a couple of times a season, uh, if you're racing, it's, it's pretty, pretty normal.
0: Uh, pretty normal
1: so yeah it it happens and uh it's going to cost some money there were some crashes that were more expensive than others sometimes it it flips and then it gets really expensive Ooh, yeah (laughs) Uh, the cheapest crash i ever had i only broke three zip ties so (laughs) Uh, you don't get those very often though but usually it's a bar or a foot peg and yeah you're going to have some scratches on your body work but when i started paint my bodywork. So it was just it didn't matter. There was no paint to scratch off.
0: (laughs) Yeah, my um my my second track bike, the one that I have right now, um, when I bought it, one of my friends offered to paint it professionally. Um and I was like, no way, really? I was (laughs) like, okay. I was like, I'll you know, I'll buy the paint and everything, pay for that. And he was like, I'll paint it. And apparently it was a real big pain in the ass because bearings were already used and painted. I sanded them as best I could, but obviously it wasn't good enough. Yeah. And um anyways, he, he did this I designed this paint scheme and he painted it. It was absolutely beautiful. I was like this bike is amazing. He did such a good job. Um I'm gonna do a photo shoot with it, you know, before I take it to track. I literally had the fairings on there for four days. I think I did the photo shoot like on a Friday or something we went to track and then at the end of my second day on track I low-sided it um and just I didn't do a ton of damage to the paint like it was it was not bad but just the fact that like I marred it up like right away like so no more professional paint jobs for me like like nope I'm rattle canning everything and every bike that I've rattled canned, I haven't really crashed, knock on wood.
2: So <laughs> Funny that I'm, like, in the yeah,
0: I'm like no more paint, you wasted a perfectly good paint job on me. But then when I crashed that bike again, the next season, um,
1: it was a really
0: hard crash and I tore up like half the side of the bike, um, but it was still functioning, like putting new you know, clip-ons on, new rear set, whatever, but everything else was fine. And because i don't have i have an undertail exhaust so the exhaust never gets damaged um i just duct taped those fairings up and i rode them like that for two years like total duct tape like there was there wasn't even a fairing there like it was all just all just totally tape. ghetto trash yeah, yeah duct tape
2: yeah
0: so i refused to fix it because it was like this reminder for me like no like it's it's a it's a track bike it, you're meant to it's not meant to be pretty you're meant to use it and to your point of that's when I kind of learned that yeah these are machines that they they bring you joy not just from being pretty and looking at it and you know my first crash on the street when I messed up my street bike again it was very very similar low you know um, small scratches on the fairings but I I cried, I got home, and I I cried that day, like, I destroyed my beautiful new bike, which was pretty much brand new, I bought it used, but it was immaculate, like, it had only 2,000 miles on it, barely, Um, you know, but after that, like, now you look at that bike, minus this last crash, and it is, it is road hard, it's destroyed, all the paint is scratched up, it's, it's got little scrapes from my, um, on the swing arm and everything from my feet like it's just it's used and abused this tank is all scratched up from me you know moving around on it and and it's like oh this poor bike like it looks like crap but it's been loved it's, it's been so used so much so when i look at it that way i'm like okay it's i look at it a little different now so that makes I'm sense. To, The new one won't be like a shock of like, oh, God, be careful.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes, man, could you imagine riding one of those MotoGP bikes? What are they worth? $2 million? I don't know. Something like that. And so throwing a MotoGP bike and totaling it, that's a big oops. I mean, the parts aren't worth $2 million. Maybe it's the development of everything uh, that goes into that cost, but they're not cheap. Um, it's several hundred thousand cars flying, flying down the road and, and you see, it's normal. How many times a weekend, 40, 50 crashes a weekend per, per, for all classes, maybe. Um, that's a lot of money every weekend, a lot of money. And, uh, I want to, it's just, it's just, uh, I feel like I'm trying to fund a NASA experiment when I'm trying to fund my race program. It's, it's a lot of money. Right? And, uh, but I, I wanted to uh, j- talk about the difference between sponsorship and becoming a brand ambassador and uh, what people people sometimes think the wrong things about it. So tell me about that. And I think you are a brand ambassador for a couple of companies now.
0: I am, that's, it's funny you follow that up with the whole financial. This is a perfect transition to it from finance, the struggle of finances of racing to sponsorships. and and these brand ambassadorships and it's funny because a few years ago like I, I would say what this i think brand ambassadorship started about eight years ago something like that uh, more commonly i guess known as social media influencers i do feel there's like a little bit of a difference between the two but but they are obviously an exact um i think a brand ambassador is, is someone who is picked up by, you know, a top tier brand, not necessarily top tier, but but any, you know, legit known brand and, and they form a a relationship with them and they're a loyal ambassador to that brand. Um, Generally, you know, we as brand ambassadors, generally, we don't get paid for, for what we do. Um, We partner up with these companies because a, for example, in, in riding, we ride, and we like their products, like I would never and never have like advertised or pushed a product that I don't believe in 100% that I don't believe it's good quality, it's safe, or, um, you know, that just doesn't pass my standards, you know, at the time. And again, as you learn more, and you grow, you discover new things. So that doesn't mean that, you know, something that I may have believed in in the past, you know maybe i've changed my mind on it now yeah. but i've always i always try to be like super honest with that because that's that's the one thing that i base everything on is transparency anyway so going back to ambassadorships i feel like social media has come about with this social influencer thing and i mean these days it seems like anyone can be an influencer from what's the ongoing joke now, skinny tea and, and I don't know, um, some sort of a clothing workout attire. I I don't know. It's everywhere. And, and I hate to admit it, but it is easier for women to be social media ambassadors because, well, let's face it. The majority of people on there are men. And especially now in the motorcycle industry, you know, only 13% of my followers are female. And it has nothing to do with that I'm a female or whatever. It's just there are more men riding. It's oh, just facts. Sure. I mean, that's just how it is. So it's easier for for companies to target women because, A, we're an up-and-coming group. Generally, there were never as many women riders. I know when I started riding, I didn't know any females. The only females that I knew were professional racers. Like, I only knew of Elena Myers, you know, uh, a few local of race girls. Um, so I didn't know anyone that rode street. Um, so I think now that there's more and more w- women coming out of the woodwork and riding and riding sport bikes. So I think women always rode um, like a lot. I feel a uh, majority of group of women ride naked bikes, Harleys, um, Harleys has mm-hmm. always been an advocate for that. But sport bikes was a little bit different, especially track riding. Um, when I started riding track, there were no women riding track. It was like me and maybe one other girl. And now the there's a ladies only so were,
2: right
0: yes yes and guess who pushed for that
2: awesome. <laughs> i didn't
0: know that so i mean we you know once more women started coming out we're like we need a ladies day we need a ladies day like do something special and like a lot of or do that now which is great that it makes it makes me realize that it wasn't just my idea it's every all of us want that and yeah. the fact that all of us have been asking for this and now it's happening that's awesome
2: Great.
0: um and and so i think so like this whole you know thing with ambassadorship i know the going back to like sponsorships for example i think there's a huge misconception first of all uh, a difference between being a brand ambassador and and being sponsored that way than a legit sponsorship for you, for a racer, uh, for a race team. And we, I know I personally got a lot of flack and still do on rare occasions, um, but not, not as much anymore. But when I first started doing this, I got a lot of flack from other people on social media saying like, flat out, you don't deserve this you don't ride well, you don't race, you, you're just a noob, you're a poser, you're, you're just starting out. Why do you get this, you know, whatever. Totally legit, like, totally legit observations. Um, a few years ago when, 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 you know, that's what people were saying to me, it really hurt. Um, it made me cry. It made me question what I was doing. And I agreed with them. I'm like, this isn't fair. I'm here at Red Spade Racing supporting other racers, and I feel that by my uh, companies that are giving me a brand ambassadorship, I feel that I am taking away valuable things from actual racers that are really good at it and, and are needing these things to excel. Um, my first like really big ambassadorship came from mm-hmm. Um They, at the time, this is kind of funny because I I always wanted to wear Denese, my husband wore it. It saved him in his first street crash and I was really impressed with it and I really wanted to wear their stuff. Unfortunately, at the time there wasn't much at all out there for us women. Um, and I couldn't fit into any of their Italian cuts off the shelf. So I literally typed up an email to Denese headquarters and um, I was like, listen guys, like, you have some product, but it's not available in sizing anywhere. Like, seriously, shut up and take my money. Yeah. Like, please do something about this. And this was like back in 2011. Um, and then I think in 2013, they'd reached out to me and wanted me to, wanted to meet me. Um, so we, I was going to be at a MotoGP and uh, I think it was, uh, it was still an Indy. Did they do 2013, in Indy? Uh, 12 and
1: 13, uh, up to 15.
0: Okay, because I started going, I think, in 11. So I think this was 2013. And, and we met up in person, you know, had a meeting. And, and that's the thing. A lot of that stuff is to, I think, you have to be at the right place at the right time to make yeah. things happen. But you do need some luck. It's not all, you know, it's not all just hard work. You do need luck but I don't think people realize how much work and sacrifice goes into it too. It's, you know, for me, it's become a secondary job. Um, but anyways, we, you know, we met up, we had a like legit meeting. Um, they really liked me. Um, I really liked them and they were like, well, would you want to become one of our North America brand ambassadors? We have one other guy in California and you could be on our East coast side. And I was like, oh my God, fucking dream come true. I'd love to like, like, not only do you, know, I want to wear your stuff, but now I'm going to be your brand ambassador. Like what?
2: Awesome.
0: So, I mean, I was beside myself, super thankful, very grateful for the opportunity, but, you know, I couldn't fit into a lot of their stuff at the time. So they offered right away to make me a custom suit. Dude, custom suits are not cheap. And from a top tier company like Genese, my custom suit, my first one I got was like $2,500 retail uh, price, right? Well, yeah. that's a hell of a, an expensive suit. You know, so I think, like, then when I started um, picking up other sponsors, um, Pirelli is one of my other really big ones, Motul, um, like, those guys, you know, and they're supplying me with product, and people were, you know, like, why are you getting all this stuff? Like, you, again, you don't deserve it, whatever, and, and you know, and I, and I started thinking about it a lot, and I actually approached my my. Um, Uh, my sponsors and stuff and asked you know we had conversations about this because I was feeling really guilty I'm like you're right and what it really came down to was something that I never really considered and I should have and this is something that uh, most people don't and it makes total sense I mean as brand ambassadors we're walking billboards we're an advertisement um, for the general population not for racers you know like I'm not I don't need to sell you a Dainese suit. I don't need right. to sell you Pirelli tires. You're going to buy it anyway. <laughs> right. Like you, you race, you already know what you want. I am, I'm selling to the common person that's getting into riding that is, is, is a street rider and maybe getting into track and all that. But the thing is, it's a lot more relatable to have me sell a product through my experiences and my daily you know posts and whatever and and silly reviews you know that yes I may not have the exact knowledge that Stefano Mesa does to what front wheel is doing under so many pounds of pressure under this much percentage of breaking into this sharp of a corner at this speed in this temperature
2: right
0: I'm getting there I'll never be there that bad but but I can make it relatable to the regular street rider. Um, right. and and even you, regular provide a,
1: you provide a value in your own way. You know, I think everybody, not maybe not everybody, there's a lot of people out there who provide a value. And you have, what, a couple hundred thousand followers on at least one social media platform. So, I mean, you have a reach and you have engagement and you have people... Um, people looking at you, and yes, maybe you're not the racer yet, but you have your own unique perspective on track days, and the general population knows nothing about track days, so right. um, you just have a different different way of looking at it, and my way of looking at it isn't bad, just the same as yours isn't bad, they're just different, they're different perspectives, so the world needs more different perspectives than just one person talking um you get to see the whole the whole picture so um maybe you use Motul and Pirelli and Kawasaki for your bike and those are great things for people to use I would use a different brand of of uh tires who cares you know um those are good as well
0: right and that's and that's the thing it's it's especially tough right now because you know technology's been getting so great there's really no bad brand or bad tire or bad product like you know tires for example they're all really good nowadays you know it comes down to personal preference so it comes down to like advertising right but who reads magazines anymore so and so that was the other thing I was going to follow up on my products that I get to review to to share with the public and use you know they're from a completely different budget. They're from the advertising budget that will go into advertising and does continuously every year. Like it's not being taken away from said racer, said, you know, said sponsorship. It's a completely different platform, different part of the company. And, you know, I I didn't really grasp that at the beginning either. And so that's why, you know, I was feeling tremendous amount of guilt for it. But, you know, as the years go by and then you see a value, you see um, how many people you turn on to something or you educate about something or I, just just getting messages from people, you know, saying, thank you for telling me about whatever this so and so experience it helped me in this or thank you for sharing or, you know, your knowledge about gear. Like I get so many questions about all that stuff all the time. And it makes it worthwhile at that point, like I'm seeing now that yeah like these companies brought me on to do this job for them and I think I'm doing it all right like
1: and to the people who are saying like oh you don't deserve that or or I or maybe they think they deserve it somehow um I say shut up and do the work
0: that's what I say I'm like you you know anyone can do this I'm like you know I'm I'm pushing 40 here like I'm no spring chicken. Like anyone can do it. Like, yes, I'm going to admit, like I said, it is easier for girls just because in this market, it's, there's so many men. So it's easier to get attraction, you know, to get the attention by being a female, which, you know, I try to keep my social media pretty modest, you know, because I want to attract everybody. Like I I don't, you know, it's not, I don't want to scare away any women. I don't want to scare away children. Like like, yes, we're all human, and, you know, whatever, but for the majority of it, like, I want to keep it real, and and that's the thing, like, what you see, what I post is that's, that's reality right there, you know, for the most part, I mean, yes, it's all curated, um, but it's, it's not fake, it's not, you know, completely out there, like, I don't, you know i do have to plan things like we go on a ride and something and i'm like well if something good happens today that's what i'm gonna write about you know and when nothing happens or nothing's going on i don't have anything to write about so i mean it is what it is so i mean
1: sometimes it's like for me with this podcast like what am i going to talk to this person about for two hours you know and and (laughs) tons of stuff to talk about we have a common interest and um We've rode the same places, yeah, at least Barber and the Tail, and I'm sure other tracks as well. So, mm-hmm. um, it's Mid-Ohio? <laughs> Mid-Ohio, I've been there. Uh, Nelson, uh, Granton, there's a lot of them. Not been there yet. <laughs> have you been to Granton?
0: No, I've heard about it though. Tough one. I hear it's they'll, fun. They all have their
1: own unique uh, challenges.
0: Yes, for sure.
1: So, hey, <laughs> let's, uh, let's try to wrap this up a little bit. Would you believe we're already over two hours? Um,
0: Holy crap. <laughs> I so told you I can talk.
1: <laughs> no problem, I love it. So where can people find you online and uh, where are you out there?
0: Um, I, my biggest social media feed is Instagram. Like that's the one that I post at all the time and that's uh, Red Spade, uh, plain and simple. Um, I also have a Facebook page, but it's pretty much that. Um, you know, same stuff goes on there. I do have, we do have a website, redspaderacing.com. I try to post blogs on there. I'm not, haven't been as active lately, but there's a lot of useful resources on there too, like track pack lists, um, you know, and then stuff, just articles about track riding, um, you know, your first time or what, how to prep for it, stuff like that. It just, you know, try to focus more on the newer riders, um, you know, those are the guys that really need, guys and girls that really need the information, so. Okay. so <laughs>
2: um,
1: it's a good resource there, and uh, are you a YouTuber or a vlogger or anything?
0: Uh, I do have a YouTube channel, same thing, Red Spade. Um, unfortunately, I'm not a vlogger, so I don't talk when I ride. I, I actually don't even listen to music when I ride, <laughs>
2: <You gotta laughs> i ride in
0: silence, but I- yeah, but I do post a ton of riding videos. Like I'll do montages with music for like riding, you know, around on all of our beautiful roads here or track. Um, I think my husband's even thrown up some of his races on there in a separate section. But yeah, definitely lots of random stuff on there, all all riding. Yeah, unfortunately, you won't hear me talk. <laughs> or fortunately. i
1: <laughs> yeah. have to hear you on another podcast some other day for that. yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I just have some work to do with my editing now, and I'll probably post it sometime next week or so.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Love talking motorcycles with people.
1: (laughs) You're very welcome, and uh, I'll talk to you very soon. Have a good day.
0: Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye.